Well, it's been a sweet time of fellowship and worship with you today, and we return to our study in Acts chapter 19 to come to... uh, come to the completion of our study of Acts chapter 19 tonight, kind of follow up to what we spoke about this morning and a conclusion to what we started this morning. Let me remind you, as I did this morning, we've seen here in the 19th chapter of Acts that Paul arrived in Ephesus to find a, a wicked city, a city that was overflowing with, with uh, pagan superstition. There were people who were Possessed by demons, there were those who practiced their superstitious black arts. And as I noted this morning, I want to remind you tonight, Paul dealt with that problem the only way he really could, which is the best way, of course. In the words of Ray Stedman, Paul attacked that stronghold with the most powerful weapons ever known, the weapons of truth, of love, of righteous behavior, and of faith expressed in prayer. I couldn't say it any better myself, so I didn't. Ray Stedman says it very well, doesn't he? And Paul came in and he attacked that stronghold of Satan with God's word. And he attacked that stronghold of Satan's with with truth. And he did it with love, lived out toward people in the name of Jesus Christ. And he did it with righteous behavior, with Christ-like behavior. And he did it in a way that was expressed in prayer and how we need to do the same if we are going to be moving the gospel and advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ in the culture in which we live. Earlier, verse 10 noted that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And I noted this morning that that was significant because of a a little three-letter word, all, right? All who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Some this morning on their way out noted to me, and we talked to, I talked with a few of you about uh, people you're concerned about who you wish would come to Christ. And sometimes we, we are concerned. You know, we tell them and we tell them the gospel. They just don't seem to be getting it, right? Doesn't mean that everyone who hears the gospel is going to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, does it? Unfortunately, we'd like to have it be true that everyone we share the gospel with trusts Christ. But it doesn't happen that way, does it? But we don't stop praying for them, do we? How many of us, uh, if I had a show of hands, probably most of us, if not all of us, could testify of someone who they'd prayed for for years and years and years and just about given up on them, and they come to faith in Jesus Christ, right? So we pray for those people. We're concerned for them. We don't stop sharing the gospel with them. We don't stop living the truth in front of them. It's so critical that we live Christ-like lives, as Stedman points about Paul, that that he used the weapon of truth, of love, righteous behavior, and, and faith expressed in prayer. Those things are important, that we live those things out in, in front of others who need Christ, that so they see that Christ is changing us day by day. Now, after about two years of faithfulness on a part of Paul and those who were growing in the faith, Satan's stronghold in Ephesus was, was destroyed. And I again, I noted this morning, I want to do it again tonight because I think it's so important, the evidence was in the response of those who came and brought their books of magic. They brought all these things of great value. We see it here, 50,000 pieces of silver. And this, this expression is evidence there was some serious change going on in people's lives. So much so, they burned 50,000 pieces of silver's worth of these black 
art, black magic type books and, and things that, that, uh, that were occultic in nature and burned them, got rid of them. They didn't want anything to do with them anymore. And when Jesus begins to work in your heart, that happens, doesn't it? You say, you know, these things that I'm reading, they're not right for me anymore. I'm done with that. That's out of here. I'm going to get rid of that. And you, whether you take them out and burn them or not, or you throw them away, or you get rid of them somehow, you get those things out of your life, right? There ought to be evidence of that in your life over the years, right? That you've, you've come to the point where you said, there are some things that, that I did before Christ that I just don't do anymore. It's not, it's not me anymore. Jesus has a way of changing your heart, doesn't he? And Jesus has a way of coming in and moving and shaping you in ways you never thought and never dreamed possible. And you may have a relative or a loved one or a spouse who looks at you and says, I never dreamed that you'd be the way you are today. Because Jesus changes people, doesn't he? When you become obedient to Jesus Christ, he has a way of coming in. And I think the proof that we see here in Acts 19 of these people bringing these things and burning them in a big fire, get rid of those things, is a wonderful evidence of the changing power of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ when it is preached. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to change lives. And evidently Paul felt that like his work was... was um, was coming to a completion there. Things were coming along, and he was ready to move on. We noted it earlier this morning that he had his plans to go elsewhere, didn't he? But, like our plans, sometimes his were interrupted. Trouble came, and and I want to remind you, trouble should not surprise the church. Difficulty should not surprise the church, right? We should not be surprised when difficulty comes. We've got to be prepared for it. We ought not be chicken littles, you know, oh no, the sky is falling, things are terrible, you know, everything's bad, it's really bad. Everybody wear black today, it's really bad, right? Not that way. But we just, we're realists, knowing that God allows difficulty to come and into, into a church that is doing something for Jesus Christ, there's going to be opposition. And God may even allow a time of persecution and he may allow periods of difficulty to strengthen us and to make us more Christ-like, to strengthen us in our walk with Christ, to make us even more effective for the cause of Jesus Christ. And Paul found that soon there was resistance once again. We've seen it throughout, haven't we? It seemed like everywhere Paul goes, there's somebody who stands up and gets in his face and gives him a hard time. We ought not be surprised about that if it happens to us, right? Paul soon found the gospel resisted once again, as we noted this this morning. In the last half of Acts 19, we see the, the three reasons why people resist the gospel, which I'm sure we, we become concerned about at times. If you're like others in this room, you share the gospel with a, maybe a particular individual you're especially concerned about, and you share and you share and you pray and you pray and you share and you share and you, share and you try to live a life that's meaningful for the cause of Christ in front of them, and they just don't seem to get it. And you say, what's going on? Well, we see three reasons why people resist the gospel of Jesus Christ in Acts 19. Now, these aren't all the reasons. These are three that we see here in Acts 19. Okay, These aren't the only reasons people resist the gospel. But, but this third one we're going to come to tonight is prob- probably sums up all of them. All of the reasons that someone might have for resisting the gospel of Jesus Christ. But first we noted that people resist the gospel because they love money. You see it here in the 19th chapter of Acts. The Bible is very clear that you cannot love God and love money both. You will love one and hate the other. doesn't mean that you aren't a good steward of money if you love God 
and hate money. It doesn't mean that you say, get it out of here. I don't want anything to do with that. I'll live, you know, and without electricity and without running water. And I don't want it. You know, it's not, you know, I'm not saying that. But you'll be a good steward of what God has given you. And it won't control you. It won't, it won't have your thoughts 24 hours a day, right? You'll be thinking about things that are more meaningful for kingdom purposes. You'll be thinking about how you can use what God has given you to invest in eternity for the cause of Christ. So you'll either love one and hate the other. That's just the way it's going to work with God and money. You can't, you can't love both. And so people are blinded by their love of money. And just because you don't have a surplus of money doesn't mean you, you don't have a money problem. I mean, in, in the money problem being that you love money, right? You might not have a surplus of money. You may not have money coming out of your ears and bank accounts full and all kinds of investments. You might be struggling week to week and still have a money problem that you love money. Okay, so just because you don't have it doesn't mean you can't have a money problem. So that's something that, as believers, we must deal with, right? We're not beyond this. We need to be careful that we have the right attitudes about the things that God has given us or hasn't given us. But we see in evidence here in Acts 19 that that there were those who resist the gospel and resist the gospel of Jesus Christ and resist those who are trying to give it to them because they're in love with their Money. Secondly, we also noted that people resist the gospel because of their love for stuff, things. Certainly the love for money and stuff are often one and the same, aren't they? But people can be blinded from the truth when there are other things that hold their affections over a love for God and obedience to his word. And when you begin to bring the gospel to someone who's blinded by these things, it's like you're talking to a wall. You might go, okay, yeah, yeah, that's good. Well, see ya. You know, that's nice for you, but I don't need that. So there's people who resist the gospel of Jesus Christ because they're in love with money or they're in love with stuff or a combination of the two, both. And they're blinded to the truth because of those things. Tonight we come to this third reason people resist the gospel that we see illustrated for us here in Acts 19. People love sin. People love their sin. The sin that they're involved in, they love that. They want to stay there. You know, people resist the gospel because they they love their sin. It's a spiritual problem, and Satan loves it when he can get someone loving their sin, and they won't let go of that thing that they love to do because they're you know afraid of life without it. So they don't want Christ. They they want their sin that they're involved in. I read some remarks. I think it was earlier today, as this afternoon, I was just reading and. And uh, was challenged in my thinking about this thought as well as people who, who resist the gospel when they, when they find out what sin is and they say, oh, you're going to call that sin? Well, I'm going to love it even more now that you've told me that it's wrong, right? We can, we can become rebellious. People who we give the gospel to can sometimes get rebellious and say, fine, that's sin? Well, I'm going to do it even more now. You just watch me, right? People love sin. For one thing, people who love their sin won't hear the truth. Sometimes they'll say, I don't want to hear that. Don't tell that to me. Don't, that's just a bunch of rubbish. You know, and sometimes they'll bring up believers, you know, people who have said they're believers in the past who have fallen. And they'll say, look at that person who said, you know, they were a, a preacher or a gospel teacher or they were a Christian. And look what they did. Right. And they'll use example. I don't want any of that. Sometimes they won't hear it. Sometimes they don't want to hear it. Sometimes they can't hear the truth, and that's really the real problem. 
People who love their sin cannot hear the truth. And you can tell it to them, but if God is not dropping that that darkened veil from their eyes, that darkened veil of sin from their eyes, they're not going to hear the truth. Now we see the way some people responded to the truth here beginning in verse 28. Go to Acts 19, verse 28. And I want you to look at it here in just a moment. Those unbelieving businessmen in Ephesus responded with real anger at what Demetrius, the silversmith, had said. Not anger at him, but he got them going, didn't he? And he, and he, got, he, he says, look what's going on here, what Paul has done and these Christians have done about the way, right? This Christianity thing is destroying our business. And he gets them all riled up. They become angry. And it was because there were people turning to Christ and away from idol worship, isn't it? And verse 28 says this, Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. Now you might wonder why these guys. This angry mob couldn't find Paul, so they grabbed his nearest associates, right? We can't find Paul. Let's get his partners and drag them in here and, and uh, do some harm. This was uh, no place for discussion. It was an angry mob. And there was confusion it was no place for discussion, but Paul had a, a holy fearlessness about him. Think about what Paul had been through up to this point. He had a way of, now he's probably, he says, well, you know, God's, I'm on God's side. God's on my side. God told me to be here, and, and he's allowed this to happen. I'm going to work through this. And he had this holy fearlessness. He's about ready to go right in the middle of this. Paul had this holy fearlessness about him, and he would have rushed right into this situation had some of the believers not tried to protect him from harm. Look at verse 30. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. And verse 31 says, Then some of the officials of Asia who were his friends sent to him, pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Their concern for his life. Now we've all seen... We've all seen this kind of an attitude. We've all seen it, but we find here too that, that people who love their sin will not listen to the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. They can't hear the truth. But you know what they will listen to? They'll listen to lies. They'll listen to things that are untruthful. And that's why we see the confusion in verse 32. Look at verse 32. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused. And get this, and most of them did not know why they had come together. That's a true mob, isn't it? The mob gets out there and goes, I don't know what we're mad about, but let's be mad together, you know. This is a true mob mentality. Complete chaos followed. Verse 33. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews, putting him forward. Get out, get up there, right? They're pushing him out of here. Get, get up there. Say something. The Jews pushing him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But, verse 34, when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours, 
Great is Diana of the Ephesians, right? Can you get it? Great is Diana of the Ephesians for two hours over and over and over again. They're angry, this angry mob. I want you to note something before I read the remaining verses here. I want you to note that for those who continue to listen to lies, there is danger ahead, isn't there? You know it, don't you? For those who will not listen to the truth, cannot hear the truth, resist the truth, They will listen to lies, and for those who keep listening to lies, there is danger ahead. Look at verse 35 and following. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, two hours later, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Side note here, this goddess Diana had probably been carved from a piece of uh, meteorite, okay, because it says here that this, this uh, temple guardian of the great goddess Diana, the image that which fell from Zeus, fell out of the sky. So they took this meteorite and carved this image, all right? That's probably what, what's going on here. Verse 36, Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly, for you have brought these men here, who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. And let me just insert this from, as I noted this morning, these Christians did not come in and attack this false faith, right? This false religion. And this city official makes this clear here. They came in and preached the truth of Jesus Christ. The truth of Jesus Christ is what got people to give up these idols and turn away from them into the true faith, Jesus Christ. For you have brought these men here, verse 37, who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess, verse 38. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. Can you see the hand of God here? All right, verse 41, And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Now back to my thought here just for a moment. What kind of danger is there for those who continue to listen to lies? Well, there's the the danger and the immediate consequences for those who continue to listen to lies. Just note here that there's no evidence to suggest that this city clerk was a believer, but even an unbeliever can be used by God, even an unbeliever can be used by God to accomplish God's purposes. That's why I say, can't you see the hand of God here? And he's coming into this this crowd who's been chanting over and over for two hours, and he, and he he sends them on their way. What happened? They were ready to to kill somebody, you know, and to do some harm. There is danger in the immediate consequences for those who continue to listen to lies. And God can even use a, a pagan, an unbeliever, to bring to bring peace in an unsettled situation for his people. And there could have been great harm done to the believers in Ephesus that day. But had those gone on and on, you know, listening to the lies, and yet this man comes, and even if he's an unbeliever, God uses him to speak the truth. And even an unbeliever can see that there's, there's a bad situation that's going to occur if something doesn't happen. 
Romans 13.4 makes very clear that the government is God's servant without which there would be total anarchy in the world. So we need to respect the government because God put the government here. He allows the government to rule. I'm not saying that everything that our government does brings honor to God. Certainly not. But God allows the government. Is God ordained rule over us to keep the world that we live in from being in total anarchy? I want you to just think about how God used this, this city official who's probably an unbeliever. There's nothing here that indicates that he is. Uh, William Barclay, a commentator, suggests this, that if there were riots in any, town, uh, in any town, Rome would know the reason why, and the magistrates responsible might lose their positions. He saved Paul and his companions, he says, but he saved them because he was saving his own skin. And God can use those things. Certainly this city official got up for selfish reasons and said, calm down now, this is bad, somebody's going to find out this this." mob has come and this uproar has come and I'm going to lose my job if you don't settle down and go home. So he's, you know, saving his own skin. But he's also saving Paul and the other believers from harm. And God can use that, can't he? God can use that. The city manager may have been smart enough to realize that there was real trouble ahead in allowing these lies to go unchecked, but God also used them to protect the believers there. And God can use... Uh, the officials in our government that are over us to open a way to advance the cause of Christ. I'm not saying that he's always going to do that, but we ought to pray for that, had we not, that God would move in the lives of even unregenerate leaders to bring about an opportunity for us to share the gospel of Christ and, and advance the cause of Christ for God's glory. Always remember Always remember that the government serves as God's agent. Otherwise, the world we live in would be anarchy. God can use a politician or a government official if he pleases to enact laws and policies that permit the advance of the gospel. God can do that. I believe in a God who created the universe. You do too, right? And a God who created the universe can control our measly political officials, not to... Not to uh, not uh, with all due respect, but our, you know, I'm a little guy too, right? I mean, we're all little people compared to the God creator, right? And God, the creator, can move our officials, our government officials, to do things that bring a great opportunity for the, the advancement of the gospel. We ought to pray to that end. We'll trust God for the results. And we ought to remember that as we pray for our nation and our elected officials, we ought to remember that, that God is in control. Not George Bush, right? Not our county officials, not our state officials. They're not in control. God's in control. That encourages me greatly sometimes. I don't know about you. Every time I turn on the news and I see what's going on, the latest political situation, I go, thank God you are in control. Vote. Yes, vote, right? Tuesday, vote. But, more importantly, pray to the God of the universe who's in control. Now I know that there's danger in, in the immediate consequences for those who continue to listen to lies. I just want to give you these side notes that we see here, important for the days in which we live. But remember, there's danger for those in the immediate circumstances, and there were certainly some immediate circumstances that were going on in Ephesus, some bad things that could happen had this official not stood up and said, clear out of here, 
and go home. And God used that. There's also danger in the eternal consequences, and those are more important, aren't they? Even more so than, than, the, than the immediate consequences. There is great danger in the eternal consequences for those who continue to listen to lies. That ought to drive us to pray for those people who keep resisting the gospel. Those who continually listen to lies will not hear the truth. They'll have nothing to do with it. But it doesn't mean that God won't someday soften their hearts to the truth and pull the blinders away from their spiritual eyes. Jesus said in John 5.24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. That's what I want for people we share the gospel with who go, I don't want to hear that. I don't need it. Church thing is fine. You got it. Good. Go to church, but I don't need it. I want God to come into their lives and change them. And so that when they hear the word, that they believe the word and they receive eternal life. But for those who resist the truth and take in the lie, there will be a day of judgment, won't there? Again, it ought to drive us to to our knees for those we're witnessing to and those we want to influence for Jesus Christ. We ought to keep praying for them and asking God to lift those blinders and soften their heart. People resist the gospel because we've seen it here. They love money. They love things or stuff, you know, the stuff money can buy. They love their sin. And they won't, don't want to let go of their sin. Or they can't hear the truth, can't see the truth, won't hear the truth. Because they are dead in their sins. And people resist the gospel because of those reasons. And you ought to be prepared for that. You're not always going to be able to overcome that. But you ought to pray that God will overcome that in people's hearts and minds as you share the gospel with them that they will see the truths of Jesus Christ and realize the value of them over their money and their stuff and their sin. We've all got to deal with this too, don't we? We are not beyond this as believers. We like money and we like stuff and we like our sins. Our nature leads us in that direction, right? We have to deal with this as well as believers, as followers of Christ, we've got to constantly be bailing water out of the ship, right? Get those sins out of our lives. We've all got to deal with this. We all have these problems. We all naturally gravitate toward money and idols and and resistance to the truth. But Jesus came to give life, did he not? And John 10.10 says, and this is a sobering reminder for us, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And there are those you're going to share the gospel with who the thief is coming to steal and kill and destroy. The thief blinds people to the truth. But, you know the rest of that verse. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly and have it to the full. Jesus came so that those people and you and I could have life to the full. So witness to the lost Pray for the lost and trust God for the results. Trust in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to open the eyes of sinners because as we see here in Acts 19, many did come to Christ and many did get rid of the things that kept them from serving Christ. The many things that 
kept them in their sin. There will be some who resist, but there will be others who believe in the life-saving truth. Praise God. Yes? So keep sharing the gospel. Keep living in a Christ-honoring way. Remember that people need to come to a point in their lives when they realize they are separated from God and they are dead in their sins and they need to confess their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. And there may be a time when you share the gospel with people who resist and say, I don't get it. I don't understand that. And and there's nothing you can say that will make sense to them because the blinders are still up and their heart is still buried in sin. But when God begins to reveal himself to them, they will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we pray for that, yes? And we praise God that when we share the gospel, there will be some who trust in Jesus Christ. Do not quit speaking of Jesus Christ. Do not quit living in a way that is Christ-honoring among your peers, your neighbors, those you do business with. That's what we're called to as a church, to be growing in Christ-likeness and then going outside of these four walls and taking the gospel to the world that we live in. Amen? Let's close with a word of prayer tonight and ask for God's help because without it, we can't do this, can we? Father in heaven, we come before you tonight once again reminded about your grace and once once again reminded of your mercy and your goodness lord we thank you for your word and what we find here as as a reminder to us that we should not be surprised when there are those who resist the gospel but that we should be encouraged and challenged that we should be prayerful because the god of the universe is in charge and in control and can move the hearts of unregenerate people to do things that bring great glory and honor to your name, make it possible for those who name the name of Christ to advance the cause of Christ. And Lord, we should pray for that. Help us in the days ahead to be mindful of these things and not to neglect what the sweet privilege is that we have of of prayer. And praying for the lost, those we live with, those who who we are related to, those who are our neighbors, Lord, help us to lift them before you faithfully, asking for your wisdom and your guidance and and breaking into their lives with the truth of the gospel. Lord, help us to be faithful messengers, messengers who speak the truth and messengers who live the truth of Jesus Christ that is changing us daily. Help us to be changed and more Christ-like day by day. And Lord, may you get all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.